Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Worship Center in Brighton, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit faithworshipcenter.org. Mark chapter 10 tonight. He's worthy of it all. Man, I... I can't get over that. He's worthy of it all tonight. Truly worthy of it all. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 42. And I believe that this message will help us come to that very conclusion. Maybe we can close out with that tonight if uh, singers and musicians wouldn't mind. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 42. But Jesus called, to the, called them to him and he said unto them, you know that which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it be not among you. But whosoever will be great among you, he shall be your servant. And whosoever will be the greatest among you, he shall be a servant of all. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. My friends, I, I hope we can see that even God, who existed before anything was, looked at everything that existed and spoke creation into existence. We're talking, this is the same one that came. The one who deserves all of the glory, the one who deserves all of the honor, the one who deserves us coming and bearing him. Literally, we should pick him up and carry him everywhere he wanted to go. That's what he really deserved. That's what he, the honor he deserved for us to wait on him, not for him to come and wait on us. But he didn't come. Oh, you got to hear it tonight. He did not come so that we might serve him. He came so that he might serve us. And how did he do that? By giving his life as a ransom for us. This should be a motivation of the heart. This should motivate you tonight. Not to do anything for anybody in this room. But to give your life to him. Completely and entirely and totally to him. Because he genuinely does deserve it all. He really is worthy of it all tonight. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me to preach a message to you tonight entitled The Suffering Path of the Believer. The Suffering Path of the Believer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, we exalt that wonderful name of Jesus tonight. We glorify that wonderful name of Jesus tonight, Lord. We thank you for the beautiful name, Lord. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Lord, we love your name. Lord, we love you tonight because you first loved us. And you gave your life for us, Lord. Even while we were your enemies. You laid it all down on our behalf, Lord. We thank you tonight. Lord, we love you tonight. And I ask that that same spirit and presence, Lord, that we sensed in the worship tonight would come and help me to preach. Lord, that your spirit would anoint me and empower me to deliver what it is I feel you have laid into my heart. I ask tonight 
that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened in this place tonight. That we might comprehend and understand the hope of Jesus Christ's calling. That we might comprehend and understand the riches that have been deposited into every single child of God tonight. And Lord, that we might comprehend the power that is available to us who believe, Lord. And we will not stop short of giving you all the glory and the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Before I go any further, Mary Beth, would you stand, please? <laughs> this is my wife, Mary Beth. She's a good preacher in her own right. And uh, if you are uh, tuning into SBN, um, you're going to see her sooner or later. She's uh, preached already her first message in Crossfire, been preaching in family camp, and uh, you're going to hear from her a lot more. But. Um, Hey, quick word of encouragement. We have a YouTube channel, Crossfire Youth Ministries. You should all go on your YouTube app, click subscribe, and uh, you'll get to see all of those messages a whole lot quicker than you'll get to see them on SBN. Uh, this passage of Scripture and really the passage of Scriptures leading up to it in the Gospel of Mark um, in the last two years have really started to minister to me. Uh, concerning the message of the cross, I believe maybe from a perspective that we've really not attacked it yet or really attempted to comprehend and understand it yet. These are things that I believe are essential to us and maybe will help us to stop viewing the message of the cross as like, uh, I pay in faith and you owe me grace. Hello? If I pay, if I give faith into the vending machine, then the correct answer is that I receive grace in return. Um, approaching God in that manner, and you know, I know a lot of us would never say that we're doing that, that that's the way that we're actually approaching God, but if we take a good hard look at what we understand the message of the cross to be, and from what I see people saying about this message, that's exactly how they approach it. We need to learn something about the cross that maybe we've been unwilling to see. Mark's gospel, his entire gospel, is an intentional, uh, in, intentional presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a conquering king, not as an anointed prophet, the way that Luke would portray him, not as the son of God, the way that John would portray him, but he portrays him as a suffering servant. And this is something I believe is very important. How many of us really love to read Paul's letters and apply those truths to our lives? It's almost a little bit easier to do that, right? Because it's practical teaching. It's dealing with issues that were going on in the churches at the time. There's a problem that came up. Somebody sent for Paul or Paul heard about it and Paul started writing about it. And it really answers a lot of the questions that you and I have in our hearts and in our lives today. Regrettably... We don't take the same approach to the Gospels of Jesus Christ. In reality, most of us probably view the Gospels as more devotional stories and really just thrown together stories of Jesus Christ that really have no connective tissue whatsoever. I'm here to tell you tonight that that's not true. You need to see the Gospels a bit different than the way you've been looking at them. There is cohesion. There is intention. 
there is an intentional organization and structure that's taking place in every single one of the Gospels. And there's a specific story about the person of Jesus Christ that each one of these authors want you to know and understand tonight. And Mark's story is that Jesus is the suffering son of man. Now you got to ask yourself, what in the world made Mark even want to write something like that? What would be going on that Mark would want the believing community to know that Jesus Christ suffered as the Messiah? Why would he want them to know that? Well, I think if any of us would take a good hard look into Christianity in the book of Acts, it wasn't exactly the way that modern Christianity is painting the picture today. It wasn't triumphantalism. It wasn't a prosperity message. It wasn't the best you message. It wasn't the positive confession to manifest the appropriate uh, (laughs) representation of yourself. It wasn't that Christianity. It was actually a very painful form and version of Christianity today. And I use those words intentionally. Because I believe that there are, and we'll see it in a moment, there are different forms of Christianity that are being represented all over modern Christianity today. And the reason for that is because there's a different Jesus being represented throughout modern Christianity in many different circles and streams today that I think we need to stop listening to. I think we need to quit allowing some of them to speak into our minds and to speak into our hearts. Because if we get Jesus wrong, we get ourselves wrong. And if we get ourselves wrong, we'll never approach God the way that he desires us to. And Mark is writing to a community that's suffering. And I think there's more Christians out in the world today that are suffering than we want to admit. And one stream of Christianity says you're suffering because you have negative thoughts. And you're suffering because you're quoting negative, uh, a negative understanding of yourself. That's why you're suffering. There are some truths to how you think and what you say. But that's not why you're suffering today. There's a form of Christianity that's teaching us. And can I say maybe this is the reason why? Maybe we've allowed American culture to inform on Christianity more than we've realized. And instead of trying to locate and live in a biblical culture, we're just kind of meshing the two together. We've got this syncretic view of Christianity, this amalgamation of philosophies. And what we need to hear is what Paul told Colossae. He said, you just need to keep your faith in Jesus Christ and be rooted and grounded in the faith. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. Rain it in. The time that Jesus showed up on the scene, there were many different expectations that many of the Jews had in that day of what the Messiah would look like. But one thing is a fact. It was one of the most dominant trends in Judaism of the day. An expectation 
of a messianic figure. Now for almost everyone, that expectation was so that he might alleviate the uh, political and the militaristic oppression that they were living under that in those days. The uh, poverty rate that they were living under in those days. The mistreatment of their, uh, their race. Now, you can't call the Jews a race, but um, the Jewish people, they were mistreated. They were hated. They were looked down upon by the Gentiles. And they were looking for a Messiah to come and alleviate all of this suffering and pain. It's what they wanted. They were desperate for it. Now, they had uh, different opinions on how to get there. They had different ideas on what you needed to do to get there. Pharisees, you know, sometimes we give Pharisees kind of more of too much of a bad rap than they honestly deserve. Now, Jesus most certainly had some things to say to the Pharisees. But can I tell you that there was some of them who were approaching all of this from a genuine heart of wanting to please God? Nicodemus may be a good example of that. The Pharisees that believed in the book of Acts may be some good examples of that. The Pharisees really started as the Hasidim. They were resisting worldliness. They did not want to embrace becoming Greeked or Greeked out. It's called Hellenization. It's a big word. It basically just means is that the Greek culture wanted everybody to be Greek. And that's why the Pharisees really even began to resist worldliness. Had a good intention, right? But there were many different opinions on how to get there. Some believe that there's a threshold of righteousness within the law that you could actually keep. And if we kept that threshold, and nobody really knew what it was. They, there's Christians out there today who still don't understand what that is trying to keep some type of righteousness in the law, and they don't even know where the standard is. Anyway, if we can keep that threshold, the Messiah will return. Some people were looking for a Davidic-type figure, a militaristic, political power. He would rush in to Israel, and he would save the day. Some were looking for a Moses-type figure, uh, the uh, Qumran community, if you've ever heard of that. They were looking for a Moses-type figure who would come and deliver him. Oh, I'm sorry, Samaritans were looking for this man. The Qumran community believed in a David and a priest, two messiahs that would come and deliver them from the oppression that they found themselves in. My point of saying that is this. There were different views of, these, of this messianic figure that everybody was looking for. But can I tell you, there was not one person in Israel that was looking for a messianic figure that would look at his disciples and say, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the religious leaders of Israel and die. None of them were looking for that one. None of them were expecting that man. How do I know? Peter didn't even know that's who he was. When they come to arrest him, he takes up arms to fight. He thought he was following David.
Nobody was looking for Isaiah's depiction of the suffering servant. Nobody was looking for the one whose face would be so bruised and broken, whose entire visage, his entire being would look so depleted that he looked like an animal, not even someone who we would be able to discern as the one we've been looking for. Nobody was looking for him. Could it be that in Christianity today, too many of us are looking for a Jesus that's not really the Jesus of the Bible? We're looking for a Jesus that will prosper us, that will only bless us, that will only give us health, that will only give us comfort, that will only give us strength. That's the kind of Jesus that I want to serve. And you've got Christianity, just like Judaism of old. I'm believing for this type of Jesus. Well, I, I appreciate this kind of Jesus. Well, I kind of like this kind of Jesus. The one that will just come and coddle me all the time. Please don't, please don't take me. I'm not trying to be mean or rude or anything like that. I'm just trying to wake us up maybe a little bit. Just to shake us up maybe just a little bit. Maybe that our expectations... Maybe so that our expectations might change. Because I'm telling you right now, the kind of Jesus that modern Christianity is following, I don't know if you're awake or not, but there is major ministry after major ministry crumbling today. Because we've exalted a Jesus that no one was ever supposed to follow. Because that kind of Jesus exalts man's flesh. I didn't even come to say that. But maybe we need to wake up and pay attention. Maybe we need to get alone with God and say, am I following the Jesus of the Bible? Am I following the one that stood before Peter and rebuked him and said, get thee behind me, Satan? Because you're not savoring the things that be of God. What was Peter's problem? Peter was resisting the Jesus of the Bible. That was the problem Peter had. Peter was resisting the Jesus that would come to suffer and to die. And Jesus had to quickly identify that version of himself was not the version that he had come to live out. Oh, I hope we hear that tonight. We want this triumphant picture of Christianity. We want this blessed picture. You know, a lot of these versions of Christianity that I'm trying to lay out to you tonight, they don't work in third world countries. They don't work. And you want to know the sad thing? And I've gotten way ahead of myself. This, I have a friend who's just left or is leaving in two weeks to go to Kenya. They're living on the mission field. They're not just, you know, going on a vacation and saying they did missions work. They're actually missionaries. And they're going into Kenya and living there. And what they have found is that in Kenya, where people live in abject poverty, abject poverty, poverty you and I don't comprehend. 
and they believe the word of faith doctrine. They're giving all their money to preachers. Preachers are getting rich, and they're just more and more poor. The deception is serious. The lie is serious. And it is hurting people. They're leaving people in worse shape than they were when they ever finally came to him. Woe be to the shepherds. Hello? Woe be to the shepherds who will lead them down those paths. Are we awake? What, moder what model of Christianity are we looking for? I think if we were to be honest... And I hate to say this, man, I, I do. But I think even people are embracing the message of the cross in this light. Well, I'll take up the cross if it blesses me, if it prospers me, if I gain by it. If there's gain for me, then I want it. But if there's any sacrifice involved, any loss involved... That's not, that's not the kind of Jesus I'm looking to follow. Watch this. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. We have ministries who believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and, and honestly, in, it's taught in a very... It's just not right. I'm trying to find the best way to say it. It's just not right. We come and we want the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What it becomes is just some type of spiritual benchmark where we can check off and say, I am a more complete Christian. It's not what this is, guys. There's a guy by the name of Paris Reedhead. Paris Reedhead was, early 1900, he was preaching. He was in Huntington, West Virginia, and a young man came to him. And he said, hey, you know, I've built this great ministry. I've built this great Sunday school program. I've got a great Radio ministry is what he's telling to Paris Reedhead. It's like, I've done all these great things. Like I've, and I, but I just feel like I'm missing something. And I heard God had done something for you. Do you think maybe that God would do that for me too? Paris Reedhead looked at this man and he said, you know, it's amazing the things that you've admitted to doing without the help of God. Now, I don't know if I would have had the bravery to respond the way that Paris Reedhead did. What the kid was coming to ask for was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because that's the thing that God had done for him. And he told this young man, he said, no, I think what you want is God to come and bless what it is that you've been doing. See, we've got this picture of the baptism with the Holy Spirit that it comes and it makes me a bigger and more powerful Christian. Or it makes me a more powerful preacher. Or it makes me have a more dynamic ministry. I can build a bigger and better brand. I can build a bigger and better ministry. I can build a bigger and better church. I can have a better family. I can accomplish the dream and the vision that I've got for my life. That's why I need that power. My friends, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the only thing the Bible says the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for, is for you to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. 
Peter didn't just go and start a healing ministry. When God put Peter in a place where somebody needed to be healed, he had faith to reach out to that man and say, get up and walk. He didn't start a healing ministry. He was just following the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And as he was controlled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, God brought him into a place where there needed to be a demonstration of power. And when he got to that place, God demonstrated power. But if we're doing it to build us, he has to remove himself. He has to. He has to withtract. Retract. Withdraw. <laughs> You'll remember that one. <laughs> he has to pull back. Why? Because it's not about his kingdom anymore. It's not about him anymore. It's not about his church anymore. It's not about his glory anymore. It's not about him anymore. We just made it all about us because we're following, oh, hear me, we're following the wrong Jesus. We're following the wrong version of Christianity. We're following a deceived form. And I hate to call it this, but it is what it is. It's a doctrine of a devil. It's a seducing spirit. Man, these things are real, guys. This is... Uh, Maybe, uh, maybe Western culture needs to be awakened to the reality of the demon spirit realm. It's real. And they're constantly looking for a man that they can speak through. And they're not looking for Balak or Balaam. They're looking for someone in the camp. They're looking for someone on the inside because on the inside they can deceive, they can manipulate, and they can destroy What if suffering is actually a normal part of Christianity? What if suffering is actually just a normal part of what Christianity is supposed to be? Paul was most certainly someone who represented a life of suffering. The life of the Apostle Paul is an example of following Jesus on his terms. You know, it's really interesting that when Paul came to Jesus, well, when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus and Jesus speaks to Ananias, what does he tell Ananias to do? He says, I want you to go and pray for him that he would be healed. And I also want you to tell him that I've got something to tell him about all of the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. God met Paul and said, I got some news for you, Paul. Now that you've come to me, I've got, this is good news, Paul. This is going to be really exciting, really fun. You're going to suffer for me. Okay. Uh, amen, Lord. Yes. <laughs> You're going to suffer for me. God did not call Paul and say, I'm going to build you a great ministry. He did not call Paul. You know, Paul's suffering. Paul didn't know all that God was going to do. 
His suffering might have just been in Damascus. He didn't know that God would send him and break open all of the Gentile lands to the gospel of Jesus. He didn't know that. He had no clue of knowing all of that. He had a word from the Lord, but he couldn't see it in those small steps in Damascus. He couldn't see it as he was just taking one step after another, just like the rest of us do. He could not see that. He could not see that he would go into Philippi, into uh, Berea, into Thessalonica, into Athens, and see a member of the Aeropagite get saved. He couldn't see that. He couldn't see in Corinth where God would break out and, and start a great move of God. He couldn't see all that God would do in Asia Minor. He had a word, yes, but he couldn't see it in those small steps. He was willing to, stuff, to suffer in the small things, not just in the big things. Paul was called to a life of suffering. I want to show you something else. God gave Paul discomfort and then refused to take it away from him. Did y'all hear me tonight? God gave Paul, not Satan, not the devil. Maybe some of us are rebuking some things God wants us to have in our lives. I'm just saying. I hate to, I'm, I'm not, it's just a reality. Why did he give him this discomfort? What am I talking about? I'll just read it for you so you know I'm not lying. Of such a one I will glory, yet not of myself. I'm, I'm going to. But in my infirmities, for though I desire, I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but, I, but now I forbear. Lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be or that he hears me to be. <laughs> Paul didn't want anybody to think he was higher than he was. That's a ministry lesson 101. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there would be a thorn, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. God gave him a thorn. And he prayed three times that it would depart from me. And guess what God said? No. No, my grace is sufficient for you. See, following Jesus, and this is one of the pictures that we've got in our mind, you know, um, we think if we get our faith perfect, if we get it all just right, and we get it all just in the right spot, in the right place, we figure it all out, then we'll be healed, then we'll be prospered, then we'll be blessed. We're trying to figure out some equation, mystery equation that doesn't exist. Perfect faith is not perfect health. Perfect faith is not all the money you need. All the time. Perfect faith is not all the prosperity and the comfort that you've desired for life. Perfect faith is in Jesus. That's it. It's really it. Despite all the suffering. God gives him an infirmity and doesn't take it away. This isn't a very optimistic message. This is a very pessimistic view. Now, this is a realistic view. 
This is reality. If we would just wake up and realize that all the things they've been telling us to do, that we started plugging into the formula and trying to carry out and realize it never worked. It never did what they promised. It never accomplished what they said it would. We still had problems. We still had financial struggles. We still had health problems. It never worked. Why did it never work? Paul's proof of his ministry of Christ. Regarding doing the work of ministry, he did more than anyone. He had received stripes from the Jews above measure in prison frequently at the point of death often. Five times Paul was beaten by the Jews, three times with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked, a night and a day spent in the deep, in journeys often, in peril on water, in peril of robbers, in peril of Jews, in peril of the heathen. Anybody wanting to live like this? In peril in the city, in peril in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brothers. In weariness and in painfulness. In sleepless nights. Without food and water. Cold and exposed to the elements. Pressure and anxiety for his care for the churches. The modern church today, and please don't take me wrong here. The modern church today would tell Paul he needed a trauma therapist. To work through all of the trauma that he had experienced in his life. But if you'll keep reading about Paul's trauma, you want to know what he has to say? He says, I've learned to actually celebrate these things. Because in the weaknesses that I've found doing the will of God, I have been met with the power of his grace. You're suffering right now. You're living with something that you wish wasn't there. His grace, it is sufficient for you tonight. You've been thinking you've not been mapping it out right. You don't really have your faith in Jesus and what he did at Calvary because you're not perfect yet. I'm sorry. You still are sinning, aren't you? You're still locating problems in your heart, aren't you? Does that mean you're not believing in what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary? Absolutely not. It means you live in this fallen flesh. Until the day you die, you're going to have some stinking flesh that God wants to deal with. Contrary, I don't need to learn what type you are in order to figure out how to treat you. You don't need to know what type I am in order to figure out how to treat me. You see, we actually come together and because we don't really know how to treat each other, we create friction and rub. And in the middle of the friction and the rub, the Holy Spirit exposes me to me. And he exposes you to you. And it's painful. But if we'll both yield to that rub, if we'll yield to that conviction, you know what God's going to do? He's going to deliver you. You're going to grow. And that relationship that brought friction will turn out to be the best friendship you've got. There are lies that the church is pouring down Christians' throat today. 
encouraging us to look for this only triumphant Jesus. And, and don't get me wrong, there is triumph in Christ. Thanks be to God that causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. There is triumph in Jesus Christ. There's victory over the power of sin. There's victory over the devil. There's victory over demon spirits and the pull of the world tonight. There is victory. But there is suffering too. Jesus is a perfect example of one willing to suffer. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah. They think you're one of the great prophets. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. But my father who is in heaven has opened that up to you. The greatest declaration that any man had ever made about Jesus Christ was made that day. And God blessed it. He gave it his seal of approval. This is the appropriate picture of who I am. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a good man. I'm not just a religious teacher. I'm the son of God. You're right, Peter. I'm the Messiah. I am the son of God. And now that you know that, you also need to know this. I must suffer and die at the hands of the religious leaders. See, now he's revealing to Peter the path that the Messiah must take. Must take. The path prophesied in Isaiah. The path declared to us through the sacrificial systems that we see all throughout the Bible. This is the path that the Son of God, the Messiah, must take. And Jesus is willing to take that path. And even as he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, both the prophets and the law, they show up. Moses and Elijah, the representatives of the law and the prophets, they show up. And what do they have to talk about with Jesus? His decease or his death, his departure that he must accomplish in Jerusalem. Jesus knew that that was the path he had to take. The prophets and the law declared that that was the path that he had to take. And when he came to Gethsemane, he had to determine to take that path. He knew he had to take that path. He knew the word of God said he must take that path. But he came to a place where in the flesh he had to make a decision to take that path. He even asked, is there any way I can give this up? Is there another way to do this? If I can take this cup and pass it on, then let's do it that way. Nevertheless, your will be done. So even if it meant that he must suffer to accomplish this work, he was willing to drink the cup. And Jesus drank that cup for you on the cross of Calvary. Paul was an example of believers who live a life of suffering to give glory to God. Hello? Jesus was the first example, the true example of what it looks like to follow God in a fallen world. 
It was a path of suffering. And in Mark's gospel, this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is why he rebukes Peter to let him know, you can't think the way you're thinking about the Messiah anymore. You've got to know that this is the path the Messiah must take. And we quote this passage all the time. Luke 9 and 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow after me daily. And we put that in a context of receiving blessings and benefits from God. But in the context, he's saying, I'm the suffering Messiah. you got to follow that Messiah. My friends, this passage here, it's not all about blessing and prosperity. See, we've really focused in on the aspects of what the cross accomplished in salvation, but we've not talked a lot about what the cross requires of discipleship. So we've taken the free and the blessings and all the riches that come in our salvation experience, and we said, well, that must mean that that also applies to how we follow Jesus. This is the Jesus we're looking for. The one that gives me all that I want. The one that looks at my dream and my vision and says, I'll put my hand on that. When in reality, following Jesus will include a life of suffering. A path of suffering. A path marked by difficulty. A path marked by pain. A path marked by loss. Is there anyone in this room who can tell me that's not been true for you? That since you follow Jesus, it hasn't all just been uphill. There have been some valleys. There's been some heartache. There's been some hurt. And it wasn't all just because you didn't have your faith right. A lot of it was because you did have your faith right. How many of us love Psalm 23? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What does that mean? That means the shepherd I'm following on the path of righteousness is leading me to a valley of death and darkness. The path of righteousness is not marked by ease. It's not marked by everything going the way I want it to. Everything turning out the way that I expected it to. Mary Beth and I have gone through things since we've been living for God together that I would have never imagined we'd have to go through. Health issues, physical problems, things not working out the way that we thought they were going to work out. And we've been blessed too, all right? I just say that. We've been blessed. God's blessed us. But it hasn't been easy. There were times where we both had to make a decision. We're going to take a, a pay cut. We're going to work crazy hours because we know God told us to be there and to stay there. 
It's not just things he leads me into. It's things he asks me to do. Now, following Jesus has not been free by any means. It's cost me things. It's cost me friendships. It's cost me relationships with family members. It's cost me in the secular world, financially. It's cost what I always wanted to do with my life. And he slammed that door shut. That's all I'm going to say. And he asked me to live a life that I did not plan out. He asked me to live a life that I did not design. He asked me to live a life now that I'm living for him. What does all this mean? At the cross, there's an exchange that takes place. That exchange is, he gives his life for you, and you in turn give your life. When Jesus even completes this saying that we love to quote in 923, in Mark he says, those who will lose their lives shall find it. Those who find their lives, they'll lose it. What does it profit a man to gain his whole soul, to gain this whole world and lose his soul? You've got to determine that you're not just dead to achieving sanctification. You're dead to designing your own life from here on out. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's a high value. And again, I bring you to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Now that you know the price he's paid, here's your appropriate response. Lay your life down at his feet. I am not telling you that by laying your life down that that means that you'll gain the favor of God. You have that by faith. But I think there is an exchange going on here where he has something specific that he's asking of you. And if you desire something else more than what he's asking of you, that tells me your faith isn't where it should be. Because wherever you're storing up treasure, that's where your heart is tonight. There's something in this world that you desire more than Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what you need to do with it? You need to bring it to the cross of Calvary and you need to let it die. It could be possible that that thing is an Isaac. And it is what God wants for you. But he wants to know that you love him more than you love Isaac. He wants to know that you love him more than you love that vision for your life. That you love him more than you love that Jesus that you created in your own mind. That you just love him and you want him and only him. Singers and musicians, you can make your way back tonight. This is the call. Of all Christians, I'll, uh, I'll tell a story. There's uh, two German missionaries. They're known as Moravians. 
And these two young men, they had families, they had jobs, they had callings, they had things that they wanted to do with their lives. They had an ability to uh, do different things, and they loved doing those things. They had heard about this slave island. They had given their hearts to Jesus. They were living for God, walking with God. They heard of this slave island. And they learned that on this slave island that there was a man who was in charge of that island, who really owned the island. And they wanted a chance to talk with him because they really had this desperation to go to that island and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, a strong desire in their heart. So they went to him and they asked him, is it okay if we come to the island and share the gospel with the slaves on the island? Slavery on that island was to death. You don't come home. You die there. And this man looked at them and he responded and he said, you know, I heard about all that Christian stuff. When I live back over on the mainland, I want nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, I've determined in my heart, no Christian will ever step foot on purpose on this island. If I'm aware of it, it won't happen. If he's shipwrecked, we'll give him a place to stay. He'll never talk to a single soul on this island until he can leave the island to go back home. It's not going to happen. Not going to let it happen. They went home discouraged, but still a burden in their heart to get to that island, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those slaves. The burden was so strong that they felt God told them to do something very drastic. I remember slavery on this island is to death. They have families, they have jobs, they have responsibilities. And God spoke to both of them and said, I want you to sell, your, sell yourselves into slavery to go onto that island. So they did. They sold themselves into slavery. And as they're standing in the port, their families are standing, waving goodbye. This is the last time we'll ever see them. That was the commitment. That's the commitment. The commitment for these two young men was to death over everything. Whatever God says to do, I'll follow that even to death over everything else. And as their families are watching them leave, crying and weeping, the church family sitting there crying and weeping, one of the young men threw his arms around the other. And from the bow of that ship, he yelled, May the Lamb of God receive the rewards of His suffering. That became the mission statement of the Moravian Missionary Network. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of His suffering. And I can hear you tonight. God's not called me to sell, my, sell myself into slavery. Oh, yes, He did. See, you and I are supposed to be so dead in Christ that to sell ourselves in slavery wouldn't be that big of a deal because we're dead already. How does that apply to me today? What does that mean to me today? They were willing to sell themselves into slavery. You're afraid of a little backlash. You're dead tonight. Christianity is not all about your prosperity and your blessing and your comfort. I just, I have to say that. That's not what this thing's all about. The end of man 
Listen to me tonight. The end of man is not his own happiness. The end of man should be the glory of God. I said the end of man is not about our comfort and our happiness. The end of man is the glory of God. That's the commitment tonight. Stand to your feet tonight. That's the commitment I'm asking everyone in this room to make. To death, Lord. For your glory. Not for my prosperity and my blessing. But Lord, for your glory. Lord, I've determined tonight, and this is the commitment I want all of us to make. I've determined tonight to no longer live for me, but to live for you. It's not about, it's not about what I can get from you, Lord. I'm here to give my life to you. Totally and completely, no matter what. You know, that kind of commitment, my friend, can walk you through the darkest days of your life because your life's not built on your comfort and your prosperity it's built on the rock Christ Jesus and maybe there's someone in here tonight your suffering has caused you to be faint and weary of heart I just tell you to do what Paul told the church in Jerusalem to do Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus tonight. If any of you be faint and weary of mind and consider the contradiction of a perfect man suffering on behalf of imperfect people and you have not yet suffered to the resisting of blood, look to Jesus tonight. I'm going to open up these altars and if you need to make a commitment to him tonight, a fresh commitment, a new commitment, it's not about me. It's not about anything I'm involved in. It's all about you and your kingdom, Lord. That's what this is all about. My life, Lord, is for your glory. If you need to make that commitment to him, why don't you come down to these altars tonight? If you need to renew that commitment to him, why don't you come down to these altars tonight and just let him have his way?